The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. At the top of the news recently are the Panama Papers. What is that, you say? My guest, Danny Torreson, is here to tell you, as well as talk about the consequences and preventative measures of such a horrible, huge, voluminous cyber attack. Hi, Danny. Welcome to PIs Declassified. Hey, Francie. How are you? Good. Well, I think, Danny, we ought to tell our listeners that we're communicating by Skype. You are in New Zealand where it is 4 a.m. in the morning. I hope you're a morning person. Uh, yeah, I've had two coffees now, so I'm okay. all good. <laughs> my, my eyes glaze over just thinking about being up at 4 a.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we know about the release of the Panama Papers, and it certainly has a corporate world and a tailspin. Can you give us all a quick description of what happened? Yeah, sure. Um, well, basically, um, you know, th- this this one company that handles a lot of offshore uh, trusts for companies, people are you know people all around the world, a lot of high profile people, even a lot of New Zealanders. Um, yeah, so it's big news even in this small country. But um, basically, this company handles offshore offshore trusts. So it sets up trusts for people to you know um, maybe uh, allegedly uh, dodge their tax mm-hmm. in, their, in their own country. So. This company is just a just a company like uh, any others, but um, what happened is actually the databases and information from this company were um, were basically stolen and hacked and and released online, uh, similar to the uh, wouldn't uh, the um, you know the the papers from um, you know NSA and and stuck online basically, and now it's in a searchable database, all being released and updated on May the 9th. Um, and you know you can type in someone's name and see uh, see what their trust is and and who the beneficiaries are and what companies are involved and mm-hmm. not how much money is involved, but um, it's certainly the nice <laughs> nice link there, and it's um, yeah it's pretty pretty scary stuff. And, this is uh, kind of the Ashley Madison of the financial world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it is. Well, yeah. so and it's, and this company, it, it, this um, Mossack. Fonseca, I guess yeah. is how you pronounce it. Um, they're a law firm, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. So um, you know, but but the, the the interesting thing about it is the is, is the is the way that they've um, you know they've, they've put these papers online. It's just it's it's unbelievable how how easy it is to um, to search and, and to um, really visually look at exactly what's going on with all, <laughs> with all these trusts, which are you know. 
by its very nature secretive. It's like having a, some sort of Swiss bank account from, from some drug lord online that you can just search and have a look at. It's, it's pretty incredible. The tax authorities across the world must just be in heaven. Yeah, well, the thing is in New Zealand, it's, um, you know, the, the, the Inland Revenue Department, which is a New Zealand sort of IRS, uh, has gone through and looked, looked at all the leaked papers and, and determined that really, even though there's, I think it's 200 or so New Zealanders involved, um, none of them are actually avoiding tax through this method. So uh, I, I don't know whether that's widespread around the world, but there's certainly no tax offences um, that have cropped up uh, at this stage. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, you know, it's had some fallout, like I guess the Prime Minister of Iceland resigned over it, and uh, the uh, oh, a minister in Spain resigned, and the Uruguay yeah. police arrested a bunch of folks. So, you know, it's, touch, it's touching some big people, and you know, like in New Zealand, the uh, Prime Minister's lawyer. Um, has uh, has a, a trust on on that database, which is the Antipodes Trust, and uh, you know there's some you know he's he's busily trying to um, yeah distance himself from that <laughs> you know. Okay, so, but but you could I mean he could have a trust though and have yeah, be perfectly exactly. legitimate, right? Exactly, and it's you know just because you've got an offshore trust doesn't mean you're a criminal or you're some sort of tax avoider. Um, there's all sorts of reasons you can have an offshore trust, you know. So. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think there's a little bit of, um, you know, and uh, some of the trusts there are uh, like they've listed Greenpeace and, um, you know, a couple of other like, you know, um, your charities and things have got off to a trust. So, we, you know, yeah. Okay. So what would be some reasons you would have a trust offshore if you weren't trying to avoid <sighs> taxes? Well, I mean, obviously, the obvious one is to avoid tax. Right, <laughs> yeah. that's what I'm thinking. What else? Yeah. Would- so, well, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's, um, you know, there's probably a, a bunch of lawyers that'll come up with a whole lot of reasons that uh, you can yeah, benefits of having an offshore trust. Yeah, for <laughs> so, sure. yeah, but yeah. So, uh, Danny, why do you have a particular interest in, in investigating this area of corporate leaks? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, just, you know, I, I guess in the last four or five years, um, this type of work, so, ca- so ba- basically this, the, what, what happened there is like a, basically a theft of information. Um, it's, it's classified information, sensitive proprietary information to the company. It's been taken, it's been stolen, mm. and it's posted to people and, and published online. And, and, you know, there's a lot of harm and, and loss uh, being created through that. So, yeah, a lot of Actually, a lot of this is happening um, you know, in New Zealand and all around the world. And um, you know, basically, people will sort of it, – it's a funny sort of area because it's not really a corporate domain of the, of the police. It's not really a domain of, of lawyers itself. So it kind of falls with, with a, in between, really, and that's why people come mm-hmm. to private investigators. So they basically want to know who, who leaked it. <laughs> Who's well, sure. Yeah, so that's the, the, the mission is to um, actually locate uh, and identify the, um, the anonymous person that sent this information, either sent it, either posted it, uh, you know, put it online. Um, mm-hmm. so, so that's where we come in. And, we're, and, and honestly, I'm doing a lot of these uh, jobs. Like it's, it's just becoming like a regular uh, stream of work, really, and it's not just located in New Zealand. It's all around the world. So what is your background? So I've been private investigator for 25 years um, uh-huh. here in New Zealand. Um, my my dad has uh, been doing this for probably 37 years. Um, wow. He's he was New Zealand's first private investigator. Really? Uh, yeah. So 
private investigators in New Zealand started off as divorce guys, you know, kicking in doors and taking photos <laughs> because, you know, you basically had to have proof for a divorce of right. infidelity. And that's how it all started. And what happened is, um, like in the 1970s, they actually created a law in New Zealand to try and, um, you know, tidy up the industry because it was just, it, it had a pretty seedy sort of reputation. Really? So they, they enacted a law um, and then that sort of weeded out everyone. And sort of a few years after that law was enacted, my father started and... Um, and he, he basically was an ex-police officer in, in New Zealand, like a drug cop. Mm-hmm. And um, he started as just a theft investigation. So mostly companies, company crime, theft. And, um, and I've just literally worked with him and for him uh, all my life, all my working life. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So carrying on the family tradition. Yeah, my boy is, um, he's starting a law degree and he wants to come and join, join us as well. So, um, yeah, bring, <laughs> keeping wow. it going. That's great. That's fabulous. So, yeah. uh, so you is that why you got you got a master's in science and security management? Is that why you went yeah. that route? Yeah, but most people in in this industry are um, ex cops. Um, you like I, I employ probably five ex cops in New Zealand, um, mm-hmm. either UK police or New Zealand police, and that's tip the typical route to to this type of um, you know, career. Uh, so to have um, no background in policing is, you know, sometimes seen as a disadvantage. But, you know, it's never really hindered me because, you know, I, do, I did um, do some tertiary education and, um, and really I approach things with a, a different perspective from a cop, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they'll join us from the police and, and sometimes there's a difficult progression from straight out of the police to the corporate world. Right. So, you know, like I'm thinking about, what the client wants uh, and how to get that really quickly and, and effectively. And sometimes police um, have a different spin on that, you know. Yeah, I definitely think there's advantages to both areas. Um, you know, I'm not former law enforcement either. Uh, and so there is, you know, it is a dis- different viewpoint and both have advantages. So, yeah. so New Zealand is required to be licensed, is that right? Yeah, it is, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's a legislation and, and a law and, um, you know, there's penalties and, you know, there's, there's things that we've got to abide by. So, But when okay. we have no powers uh, other than the normal citizen. Right, and that is uh, uh, nationwide throughout yeah. all of yeah. New Zealand. And what yeah. are the requirements to become a private investigator? Uh, well, there's now there's a bit of training involved. There never used to be any training. Um, so, so there is a, a bit of a... Yeah, uh, inverted commas training. It's it's you know it, it, training. For, you know it's not required to be an ex cop, but um, you know there is a training um, portion to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you cannot have any um, mental problems. They've, they've really honed in on that. So you can't Boy, that kicks out a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, you can't be a psycho, and there's a lot of disclosure around um, mental illness and, and things like that. You um, you can't have any convictions whatsoever, uh, criminal convictions. Uh-huh. Um, so there's, you know, there's a, a few things like that. Plus, we've got to be licensed. We've got to be uh, licensed by the government, checked by the government. We've, we've given a, a, basically an ID, a badge that lasts for five years, and we have to renew that every time. Mm-hmm. Every year, we have to tell them if we've got any offences. So, you know, things like that. Well, interestingly enough, I have to bring this up, Danny. When we were talking before the show, uh, you were actually involved yesterday uh, in a civil search warrant. 
Yeah, yeah, it's uh, really I find that fascinating. So tell us about that a little bit, what you can do in New Zealand. Yeah, I can't speak about that case specifically, but right. um, yeah, in, in New Zealand, um, the law um, actually creates an, uh, an opportunity for, um, for, a, for a company or an organization or, or an individual to uh, actually apply to the High Court in New Zealand, um, which is the highest court. Um, to to actually obtain and and, um, and execute a search warrant uh, ex parte, so without notice to anyone, so we can just basically get a search warrant, search order from the court to uh, to, to go and you know go to someone's house and, and basically search it exactly like the police would do. It's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. So there is some um, requirements around that, and it's very very strictly regulated. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know there is a, a lawyer appointed for the other party, um, you know, appointed by the court, to to be present, um, because none of this is done with notice. So you're basically turning up on the door with a lawyer that you've appointed for the for the guy, <laughs> and your own lawyer, uh, and us basically, and that's it. We 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 just carry out a search warrant. <laughs> so, does there have to be a, a suit pending in order to yeah to yeah? There's got, some, there's got to be some action. Yeah, um, but even in New Zealand, it's it's another uh, interesting um, situation in New Zealand where a private individual or a corporation can actually take out a, a, a criminal prosecution privately. So I can I can prosecute someone for a criminal offence myself if I wanted to and huh. take it right through court. How interesting. Uh, so, so the police aren't the only ones in, uh, that are able to, to bring a criminal prosecution. So there's a lot more, you know, <laughs> lot, yeah, those, these things don't exist in the States, so, right? <laughs> so private investigators have gone from the shady side of the business to actually being able to prosecute people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Very, very interesting. So uh, let's... Uh, in case people are interested in finding uh, contacting somebody in New Zealand, uh, why don't you give your website? Sure, it's just um, dub 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 just theinvestigators.co.nz. So it's just theinvestigators.co.nz. Okay, and your company is Thompson and Torreson. Yeah, and my name is Torson and my father's name is Thompson. So it's just a, it's a oh, family I see. business. Yeah, so um, I used to be Thompson in the old days, and um, because I've worked with my dad for so long, I, I just had to change my name because <laughs> Dan Thompson and Dan Thompson was just getting uh, getting pretty crazy for there for a while. So, <laughs> so my name is actually a Norwegian name, and when they came to New Zealand back in the day, they actually anglicised their name like a lot of people did. So uh-huh. Italians and Yugoslavs and, and obviously Norwegians would come to New Zealand and try and get work with the British. And, um, and if they had a foreign-sounding name, they, they couldn't get work, so they uh-huh. changed it. So it was changed to Thompson, which is an English name. <laughs> so I just reverted back to the Norwegian name. <laughs> oh, interesting. So, yeah. and, and then your company, uh, other than these, these uh, corporate leaks that you are getting involved in, you do all kinds of workplace yeah, investigations. We, yeah, we're just general private investigators. So we do, you know, domestic stuff. We do, uh, you know, some very limited matrimonial stuff. We do a lot of tracing work, um, backgrounding, and um, a lot of legal work. So summonses, services, and then theft and crime work, yeah. Okay. All right. So, so back to the Panama Papers, as we all know it now, 11.5 million documents is just beyond understanding 
and and as you you mentioned uh, the database. Now I haven't I have not looked at the database. I know it's been posted online, and a lot of people yeah. have it. But I understand that it has the names, like you say, of shareholders and directors of companies, and and uh, it off obviously offshore tax havens and all of that. <clears throat> so, what do you think the fallout is on this is going to be? Well, you know, if you if you if you have a look online, it's it's. Uh, I, I did a little couple of tests the other day, and um, you know, it's it's it actually really brings it home because in New Zealand, it's a very small place, and you know, there's eighty one thousand references to New Zealand in those papers, and you know, everyone's saying that basically, um, yeah, New Zealand's a tax haven because of this. You know, so it's just it's it's just got a huge amount of uh, steam here in the media, um, and it's just gone absolutely crazy. If you if you put in uh, a name in there, you can actually just see exactly where all the trusts fit, where all the companies are, and then actually where they're based in New Zealand, and then all of a sudden you're actually got an address and a person that's running some sort of offshore trust for some sort of person based in, like, Uruguay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, in New Zealand, there was one um, came out yesterday that there's an Elvis impersonator who's just this nutcase guy, crazy guy, <laughs> down down in, in, in a small town in New Zealand that's the the front man, the, basically the director of this company, <laughs> some sort of drug lord in, in Mexico. I mean, it's just bizarre. Well, you know, wow. And the media are going and knocking on the this Elvis impersonator's door and saying, like, well, you know, what, what's going on? <laughs> He's on the run, and oh, it's just crazy. Oh, how funny. <laughs> That's hysterical. Mm. Um, wow. So are, y- are you going to be using uh, this information to do your investigations as well? Um, yeah, not, not, uh, it, it, not so much. Um, it's more of a... I, I guess it's just interesting. I mean, in time, I, I suppose the longer it's up there, the more useful it's going to be. Because yeah, it, it is. You know, you you often get cases from time to time that you know people want to know a beneficiary of a trust. You know, and they're based in some tax haven. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a you know I've had those maybe you know once or twice a month um, that you know they come those sort of inquiries come through. And this type of thing, this type of information online that's going to, you know, really open that up and give you some real good pointers as to who's behind some of these trusts. It is only one company and one bunch of, um, you know, uh, offshore tax companies, but um, it's a very large database. So um, it's going to be really useful. Well, what I think what is sending companies reeling is that, you think that your documents, when they're with your law firm, are completely protected. I mean, attorney-client privilege is kind of a, a universal concept that you think your attorneys have your back covered, right? And yeah, exactly. here we are. And uh, this is just a huge breach of trust, you know. How, how, how are you going to trust that company with, with your sensitive information, you know? It's, exactly. It's, uh, it's pretty devastating, you know. And really, how do you, and we're going to talk about this more, but how do you really trust anything that you have not in your own possession physically in your own possession exactly we're going to take a break for a moment stay tuned folks we'll be right back danny the internet's number one talk station number one talk station voiceamerica.com 
Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Panama Papers, what do we know about that? 2.6 terabytes of data, 11 million records, leaked by a newspaper in Germany. Danny, what do we know about the whistleblower? Anything yet? No, I don't think we'll ever know much about the whistleblower. Um, you know, these, I, I guess these, that's probably what I want to talk about is how, how you actually catch these bad guys, you exactly. know. Uh, well, are they, are they bad guys? I don't know. Um, but, you know, with this type of thing is, um, I guess how we start is we, we need to find the human being behind um, behind that crime. Um, mm-hmm. And so companies will come up to us and say, okay, well, we've had a, a leak of company information. Someone's you know, stolen this information. They've, they've put it online or they've, they've sent it to someone to embarrass us or to you know, antagonize us or harass us. Um, and get back at us, and 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 that that sort of is a typical scenario that we would investigate. Um, so what we do is try and um, yeah, I guess the the best part is the the forensics and the um, the the forensic fingerprints that we can find. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of times, you know, it will involve both electronic and uh, like a physical mail out. So so there'll be a letter sent, um, it'll be handwritten or it'll be typewritten, it'll be posted, mailed uh, anonymously. And sometimes it'll contain a, um, a thumb drive or a USB drive um, or a link to a site. Um, hmm. and, and that's just um, uh, so typically to, to investigate that in the old days, you'd, you'd obviously you know, look at the postmarks, you look at the envelope, you try and hand, hand, you know, handwriting samples, right. you try and get fingerprints off the paper. And, you know, so you'd be limited to all that sort of stuff. But Nowadays, I mean, you just get that thumb drive and you do forensics on it. And nine times out of ten, you know, the people that are doing these crimes 
uh, aren't career cyber criminals, you know. They're not mm. anonymous. They're not, you know, like the, the, you know, the group anonymous. They're, like, they're just normal people with that's, that's – they're frustrated usually and that's their outlet uh, to, to kind of get back at people, revenge. Um, and they're actually pretty, pretty simple to investigate. They're pretty easy to catch, to tell you the truth. Um, the, the latest one that I, I did is, you know, uh, so some drives were sent out to, to various people, media organizations and, and other companies around the world uh, to embarrass this company. Uh-huh. Um, I've got a, cup, a copy of these thumb drives and on there uh, is a file uh, and on the metadata of that file is the uh, offender's name. So it's as simple, oh, really? you know, like as simple as that. And oh, I've actually goodness. done that about three or four times the last cases, um, exactly that. So, you know, the, a, a website was set up, um, anonymous website. It's all done through GoDaddy and it's like um, completely hidden and anonymous. You, you basically can't find out who put this website up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it and it just completely defames this. It's actually a lawyer, a litigation lawyer, and um, it defames this person, you know, un- unbelievably, and pretends that it's actually their website, and then just just all the all the um, content in the website is just completely defamatory. Oh <laughs> and so to investigate that, actually online on this website that this person has created, we just did every sort of type, kind of test to try and find out where this website was going to and who paid for it and who put it online and we just could not get it. And actually on this website were two documents that you could download. Uh-huh. Like you know, little, little like uh, articles and things, and actually we downloaded those, looked in the metadata of them, and the offender's name is there as an author on their word document. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so the, the created date, the printed date, the author, and the computer number is right there in the metadata of that file. So that just allowed us then to you know find out who that was, go around, talk to them, uh, speak to them in person, and um, you know serve them with some cease and desist and take down notices. So, you know, yeah, so, so, sometimes it's pretty easy, you know. Yeah, I guess that's true. You know, you don't think, I guess people that do this don't think that it, it, you can be found out. But yeah. so, so what happens to a website? I mean, how do you unring the bell of, of a website having information going out across the world? Yeah, well, it's it's pretty pretty difficult. <laughs> you know, Google um, has got a function. Uh, I think it's a European law that that was enacted a few years ago that that people have a right to be unfound, <laughs> a okay. right to be forgotten. Um, and just because uh, you you are on the internet does not mean that you should be in Google. Okay. So um, if it it um, contravenes some laws in that country. Um, actually, Google can um, take out that um, that delivery of that um, of that on their Google um, search engine. Mm-hmm. So, like if I put in Francie, um, you'll come up in Google. There'll be one the first page. There'll be twenty listings. Um, if one of those listings is really defamatory and breaks laws in, in your country, um, actually, you can ask Google to say, "Hey, I don't want that link um, displayed." And they will remove it, provided that you've gone through their process. And it, and we've done that quite a few times. So really? it doesn't get it off the internet, but if it's not on the front page of Google, then it doesn't exist, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe <laughs> so Google thinks it. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so. The page, then, um, you know, that's 90% of the battle. And then getting it off the actual internet, 
is another quite difficult problem and quite a separate problem. Getting off the internet is really, really difficult um, because, you know, the whole internet is based around free speech mm-hmm. and even if, you know, it's defamatory, um, you know, most of these hosting companies like, um, yeah, WordPress and things like that, uh, well, uh, are reluctant, if not, you know, uh, the opposite to um, take things off their uh, sites, so their platforms. Um, so yeah. there's hundreds and hundreds of millions of blogs. They're, they're not they're not in the business of monitoring those and taking content off. Um, so unless they're um, you know ordered by a court, and usually wherever that uh, platform is based, so so like WordPress is based, I think in the states. Um, and, and unless it's in that state and it's contravening a law in that state, and there's a court order in that state to take off the content, uh, it's not going to happen. So yeah, it's really yeah, really. But it- even then, that information often gets aggregated with other information yep. and it gets reposted in other locations. And I don't know how you then contain it. Well, you can't. You know, you look at the Jennifer Lawrence leak of photos. You know, if mm. she's got plenty of money, right? Right. And if she can't get those photos off the internet, then pretty much no one can, you know. So yeah. she's had her attorneys all over that and there are still <laughs> those images on the internet. Yeah, so that's very true. That's a, a really good point to um, think about because you know, uh, it, once it's up there, it's it's actually up there. And what happens sometimes is when you start trying to get stuff off the internet, it actually can can aggravate it because a lot of this is antagonistic content done by really disaffected people mm-hmm. um, and and strange people that are in front of a keyboard and that's their outlet. And actually when you start engaging with them, it's it's almost like dealing with a, a stalker. They yeah. they actually like that. They feed off that. And when you start taking things down and trying to get action on people, like like even doing this Google right to be forgotten, uh, they actually Google will contact that person and say, okay, you've done this, you've done that. This person's gonna, you know, want, wants these links taken off, and sometimes they'll just create a whole lot of new links, you know, and, oh and, and exacerbate the problem. So it's it's very difficult. So sometimes it's actually, you know, like I was saying, sometimes it's almost like a grief thing. So you you, you know. You look at you look at what's online one day, and you go, "Oh my God!" It's you know, what's all this stuff written about me? Right. Like, and and then you just like you just shock, you reel back, and you're going, "Oh my God, what am I going to do about this?" How you know? But then you actually come through this sort of you you get you come through an anger phase, and you just want to you know get revenge on the person. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, then you sort of get this acceptance phase where you just actually can't deal with it anymore. And you just got to leave it there. <laughs> yeah. So. And that happens a lot. Um, and, and right now, like we we're in private investigators around the world, we 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 are in the business of like you know making enemies. <laughs> and, and, and in the old days, that might be a, a being behind the you know behind the car park. But now they can just go home and they can get online and they yeah. can just write all sorts of stuff and they can go right around the world. So you know, there's an example which is the ripoff report, and right. and I know a lot of private investigators personally that are on that, and it's there's some pretty terrible stuff on that, and it's it's just such a um, you know, and and people have tried to take that off, and it's just it's it's still there. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so that's pretty bad. And and who is behind the ripoff report? Do who oh, runs there's that? There's a guy actually in Arizona, um, you know, and uh, he sits in a room. And if you do some research <laughs> on it, so it's all there. It's pretty. It's pretty. Pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty bad. Well, you know, I I guess if you're dealing with a disgruntled employee, you could probably 
rectify the situation, find out who it is, and you can deal with that. But if it's somebody that is, say, they're mentally ill, and their uh, whole objective is just to stir up stuff, um, they're probably not going to. They're probably just going to escalate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty sad, really. Um, but you know, it's you, you kind of just got to take it with a grain of salt, I think, and, and just say, okay, well, it's just the internet, right? <laughs> You know, it would be horrible. I mean, I can't imagine. Um, actually, it w- would be really horrible to have all these negative things said about you, um, whether they're true or not. Actually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so when you start doing these investigations, where do you start? You start with the, like you said, with the the uh, flash drive or the the metadata, yeah. or or do you start with something else? So we try and um, like there's a case uh, not long ago that we we did where just a, a, a physical letter was sent, um, posted, mailed um, anonymously, typewritten, really um, just a just a, a threat letter basically, and sent to a lot of government ministers in, in New Zealand and people in the media, um, just completely um, you know making untrue claims about some a chief executive of a very large company in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we did with that one <clears throat> is there were we, we actually recovered all of the all of the the actual physical documents and all the mailing um, envelopes, and one of those there were about twenty of them, and one of them uh, they were all identical, but one of them actually had an address that was written uh, typed at the top of the letter, um, and it was it had been marked out with a black marker. Um, <laughs> And so, obviously, that's interesting. <laughs> so right. we 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 actually recovered off the the marker, and and underneath the marker was was an address, and it's just a Dropbox PO box. Um, so you know these anonymous boxes that you can just buy rent online, mm-hmm. and and get your mail sent there. It can be in Florida or wherever. Uh, they'll scan it for you and email it to to an, right. an anonymous email address. So. So that was fine. We, we got that. We, we actually um, sent, what we did is we sent um, a letter to that PO box um, and it had all of this information about this chief executive. So like more information than the person had initially. <laughs> and we said that there's more to come and we've got, uh, we actually sent a thumb drive with, with, um, with a, basically a whole lot of links in it that the person can click to look at some video that we had covertly filmed about this chief executive. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it, it was really fascinating. We sent that letter uh, with that package and it took about three weeks um, and we got a, a basically a notification that those links had been clicked. And, and once that had been done, bam, we got the IP address and we knew exactly who it was. And, we, and it was just, it was just a, incredible, really, um, that we could track basically a physical letter to an IP address that to is a house. Amazing. To, and then basically we, I, I went there and knocked on the guy's door and said, <laughs> hey, um, how's it going? And he just about fell over. Um, No search warrant, no nothing. Just knocked on the door and uh, and just said, you know, this is a story. So yeah, it was really really interesting. And after he got over his initial shock, what everything was taken off that that day Um, because he owned a house. um, He knew that you know. 
uh, I guess he had some big financial penalties coming, and it, we just uh, gave him a cease and desist letter from a from a pretty serious lawyer here in New Zealand, and um, and he complied, you know, one hundred percent immediately. <laughs> so all that stuff was taken offline, um, and he apologised, and that was the end of the matter. Wow, what a rewarding. Uh investigation though when you yeah. when you actually follow this through and you can get some positive results um, people must be very happy yeah well that was just you know we had a very very happy client and um, and it's really like you say it's really rewarding because you know you actually don't know sometimes when you start out on these you know whether it is some sort of anonymous group or some sort of cyber criminals or where they are in the world you know mm-hmm. but actually with that one it just turned out to be some guy in some dodgy little flat um, with with a with a beef, um, and he's mm. he's pretty pretty simple to deal with, you know. So yeah. Well, do, on these corporate leaks, do you find that it's typically a, a disgruntled employee on the inside, or is it somebody from the outside? Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Well, it, most of the time, you look to people that have been made redundant, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, because no matter how that goes, you you're going to be left with a, a disgruntled person. And, um, you know, you've taken away their job and it doesn't matter why, but, you know, uh, some people just do not deal with that well. And nowadays, you know, a lot of people work from home, they're working on Dropbox, they're working on um, remote stations. So they do have access and do have day-to-day a lot of corporate information mm-hmm. and it's off-site. So it's stored in the cloud and they've got access to it. And, and quite a few times, you know, those people will retain that information and once they've been made redundant can can use that information to embarrass the company and or or try and demand stuff you know so they'll use that as part of their you mm-hmm. know uh, strategy to try and you know get more money out of the company or you know so it's it's an outlet again for um t- type of revenge you know for sure and it, you know and revenge it is it's, you know it's it's tantamount to accusing to accusing your uh, ex-spouse of child molestation or something like yeah. that where you can't ever unring that bell. Yeah. I mean, I had a job uh, recently where it was a corporate dispute and, and one person on the other party, on the other side, um, went around the neighborhood in a very, very up, upper-class neighborhood and put pieces of paper in every single person's letterbox in that street saying that my client was a pedophile and he was ah. a child molester, named him and named his address. Um, so it's pretty, like you say, it's pretty hard to unring that bell, you know. Um, My goodness. Yeah, so that's pretty extreme, but, you know, it's uh, it's hard to come back from that sort of stuff, you know. Oh, for sure. That's uh, it's pretty sad. So mm. we do need to take another break, though, Danny. That'll, that was Danny Torreson, a security consultant all the way from New Zealand. We'll be right back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 
350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. No company secrets are safe from cyber hackers, other than the obvious of not hiding, uh, hiding assets offshore, Danny. How do companies protect themselves? What do they do? Yeah, well, it's um, it, there's a huge industry that's been created to um, to cater for um, you know security of information. So uh, you know you've got you've got white hat hackers that basically they're hired to um, you know to try and find these uh, holes in your system, try and, and and try and basically plug these leaks. Um, but you know nine times out of ten you're talking about a um, about an insider, so um, you know they have access to that data anyway through mm-hmm. legitimate means. So uh, leaving with that information, it's real difficult to to secure that. You know, so um, uh, you can you can protect against hacking um, by you know foreseeing um, some of your um, shortcomings, mm-hmm. uh, but you know that internal threat is the real real problem. You know. Yeah, and I don't. I I have no idea how you protect yourself against that. I mean, people, companies can't even protect themselves from theft, much yeah, exactly. much less uh, this kind of computer hacking or or leaking information. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's um, and then once the crime has been committed, we, you know, it's like where where which jurisdiction is it um, falling under? Where did that crime uh, get committed? What what you know what what country? Sometimes, if there's a hack of a of a cloud based server, you know that that server could reside in you know Kuzbekistan or something, mm-hmm. um, and you know it's it's just incredibly difficult to actually prosecute um, that offence, even if you did find out who did it. Um, you know, and sometimes that server might be based in two countries, so America and um, somewhere else in, mm-hmm. in Europe. So it's it's quite complex um, that enforcement side of it for for a hack. You know, um, so if you, um, question if you have a, a Hague Convention country, that that sounds like it wouldn't be as difficult as some of the other countries, the third world countries, for example. Yeah, yeah. I guess you're dealing with um, yeah robust laws, but um, yeah, it's it's once they're in those third, you know those Eastern Bloc countries and things, it's real difficult to um, to to get some uh, you know pro- proper you know authorities looking at it. So, what would be your process? Say you know, say you have uh, something off, off you know, have a New Zealand case, but you found that it's in a country that uh, doesn't typically. Um, 
coordinate with New Zealand? How do you? Yeah. What do you start with? Do you go to the law enforcement or what? Yeah. So, well, I'm a member of the World Association of Detectives and a, and a couple of other organisations with um, yeah, a really good network of private investigators. So, you know, the first step, I guess, is to um, you know, to, to talk to someone you can trust in that country. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, you know, the world's becoming a lot smaller and, and you know, um, let's take Nigeria, for for example. You know, we've got a really good investigator in the WAD in, in Nigeria and he's a trustworthy guy um, and he's the, just a go-to guy. So you just, you know, you start corresponding with him and he's got the local knowledge, he, you know, and um, and they can they can really move mountains, those guys. Um, yeah, and they, they know where to go and that's half the battle is to know um, who to talk to and, and, and what to do, you know. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of companies don't have the kind of uh, systems in place, for example, that um, New Zealand or the United States, Australia, some of, some of the countries do, um, where you, you really have to beat the bushes and, and do all the gumshoe work to investigate. Yeah, and then trying to get that prosecuted in that country is generally a, a bit of a waste of time or a you know, waste of effort, you know. So yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's really really difficult. That so type of thing. so in so say I'm a a company that has just had this major leak of all this um, very sensitive private information, and it ends up in one of those countries. What do you do then? Yeah, well. Um, yeah. Well, what what do you do? I mean, you try and find someone that um, that's responsible for it. You try and um, find someone that's got money that's responsible for it that you can sue. Um, and then you know you got to you got to talk about the jurisdiction where you're going to sue it. So, so you know, take the action. Um, so it's you know it's it's down to the lawyers really. I guess maybe that's the time where you contact Google. Uh, for assistance and and tell me what that process is if you if you have something that you yeah want so um, Google to remove yeah so if you don't um, if you take objection to to someone's website so let's say it's a blog let's say it's you know uh, making all sorts of you know completely untrue claims it's got your photo on there taken from your website it's got you know a whole lot of really bad information that's completely defamatory and, and, and untrue. Um, and it's on, say, link three on Google um, if you put in your name. So what you can do is actually contact Google um, through their online reporting form. Um, it's, it takes you through quite a complex step uh, group of steps. Um, there's about 20 steps in it. Um, and, but once you go all the way through and you've, you've, you've illustrated what your problem is, where the links are, um, what, what laws have been contravened, what country you're in, um, and obviously the description of the link and why it's defamatory and what laws it's breaching, mm-hmm. um, typically then um, you'll submit that. Google will then contact the other party. And they'll say, okay, well, you're, you're doing this, you're doing that, you've breached this, you've breached that. We are uh, going to take this link off Google. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you say about that? And then the other person will sort of have their say, uh, and then Google will just remove that link. So instead of no, now when you search that name, it won't be at number three. It's hidden. It's, it's dropped off completely off Google. And down the bottom of Google on the front page will be a little note saying, uh, you know, due to a, some sort of issue, this has been removed. You can click here 
the further information. Um, and that's all part of the process. It's, it's quite transparent. Oh, interesting. Um, so, it, yeah, it, so, all right. So it actually says on the Google page that it's been removed. Correct. Yeah. It says there are three instances of, um, you know, I, I need to check the exact wording, but you'll find it at the bottom of the, <clears throat> of the front page of Google on the search page, right down the very bottom, um, the transparency um, in relation to taking stuff off that front page. Oh, I have to look. But no one that. ever clicks on that. Right. I have <laughs> to look you, for that. I've never noticed. Yeah, if you follow through that, you'll, you'll eventually find out why it was taken off and, and you may even find, you know, references to the link there. Interesting. Um, yeah. And generally, um, the easiest way to do that is through copyright. So if the content is defamatory, um, generally Google won't take that off. Um, but if the content has breached copyright, they will take it off immediately. Oh, so, so, for instance, if you have um, a copyright uh, statement on your website and I have taken your photo off your website, captured it, copied and pasted it, put it in my blog, said, you know, France is terrible, um, you know, I haven't had your permission to use your photo. Even though I've said you all these terrible things about you, um, I haven't actually asked you for permission to use your photo. Yes, so that link is, is gone. Yeah. Huh. But what's happened is you've told me that you're going to do that. Google's told me that you're going to do that. And I'm a person that obviously hates you because I've already done all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm just cr flat out creating more links and more content and more stuff that hasn't got your photo on it. So it's, yeah. it's, it's difficult. You know? Right. So, so does Google, um, so say you go through this process and Google's contacting the other person, do they remove it regardless of what the other person says? Yeah, or? well, they, they do unless there's some sort of, you know, um, you know robust case for the defense, um, you know, and typically if it's a copyright thing, it's pretty pretty black and white so uh -huh. I either had your permission or I didn't so you know it's it's pretty good and very fascinating yeah and um I guess does it does it matter what country the laws are broken no. in no it doesn't not for that no. type of copywriters all around the world so it's global um and with the defamation, that's why sometimes that's quite difficult to use that as a, a basis to remove content because every country's laws are different. Um, every country's laws deal with defamation in uh, different, different ways. Um, and it all depends on where the uh, hosting um, website is based as well. So if it's based in, say, the Netherlands, and the, and and the websites you know hosted in the states you know you got you do it all of you so you got two countries there with two different laws mm -hmm. uh, and then the person might reside in New Zealand so you got three countries three different laws mm -hmm. um, and it's quite challenging to use that as a basis to to kick it off but whereas the copyright thing is quite quite straightforward interesting and mm. and, and typically how how cooperative do you find other countries uh, in helping you with these kinds of things? Oh, look, not, not that cooperative. Um, no. Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. They, they talk about court orders. So, you know, everything's about a court order. If, if you want to get something taken off, where's your court order? Um, uh -huh. you know, so 
to get a court order, you, you know, most people know it's you, there's a lot of work to do to get a court order. A lot of money. Um, you need you need attorneys. You need to brief them. You need to get them working for you. Um, and and that's in that country, that foreign country. So it's going to be a very costly exercise. Um, so a lot of people just just basically don't do it. Yeah. So yeah, you you're, you're working on good faith. You're working on trying to. Uh, appeal to people's good nature and and, um, and do this all this stuff voluntarily. Really, that's the best way to do it. I'm thinking that it would even be difficult in the United States, even though we have a lot of laws that apply to this, yeah. because of the various jurisdictional er- issues. Well, you look at that ripoff report that's been in existence for a very long time, and there's pretty some pretty inflammatory stuff on there about um, people. So, um, you know, if you can't get that taken off the internet in the states, then you know, what, what are you going to do? So say, um, Danny, you're, you've got a lot of negative uh, derogatory information in the ripoff report. If that were you, what would you do about it? What would you do to counter uh, it? To, from experience? <laughs> I Maybe. Would just, I would just uh, move on with my life. Yeah, that's what I'd do. Yeah. Really? And, and you just accept that that site has no credibility and people that see that uh, understand, you know, the background to it and, and know, and I'm not just talking about that, that blog, but, you know, yeah, it, you, I think there's almost like you, you just got to accept it and move on. The, the, trying, to, trying to take that off is not worth the hassle, usually, usually, you know. Well, and I think like and, you and said. it actually creates more problems, probably. Yeah, it exacerbates the situation because now yeah, that you've ramped up the, the Annie, so to speak. You know, you talk about uh, we, we get a lot of uh, cases where, you know, an ex-partner is harassing someone or, you know, there's a lot of stalking or harassment or, you know, like, um, you know, that, that sort of uh, obsessive harassing behaviour is quite a common, common thing uh, in life. Um, and to investigate that, you know, the best advice that you give people is not to engage with the, um, the, the, the other person. So, you know, because... When you start engaging with them in any way, um, mm-hmm. uh, it just feeds that fire and gives them oxygen. And sometimes it's actually better to just move on and and not and just completely put it out of your life and forget about it and not talk about it. Um, and so and sometimes that's the best advice. And it's same yeah. with cyber stuff, you know. And very hard to do because you it know. Is really- Hard, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when you're personally attacked, it's real, real difficult not to react. Yeah, exactly. And, and but you know, and there's companies around that um, that that purport to protect your reputation, and you can pay them. I mean, you know, there's this this cases in the states, cases in, in the Europe where you know companies, big companies, big corporate companies have spent you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands a month to try and, you know, just clean up their reputation and get their web um, presence um, all, all, always positive. And that is a, a – it's achievable. You can push down uh, in the ranking some of that negative stuff by putting lots and lots of positive stuff on. But it is a, it's a very big task. It takes a long time and it takes constant uh, money and effort to do that. Um, and, yes, it's achievable to do that, but a lot of people just don't have those funds, you know. So if it's a, just a normal person, uh, that's not that's not in the in the playbook, you know. So I'm wondering if uh, information like this has ever been used against somebody in a court of law, you know, that's where what what the defamatory information yeah. or yeah yeah totally. I mean, um, you you screenshot it, you print it all out, and um, it is absolutely used in court. Um, yeah, 
for all sorts of things. But the problem is getting that stuff taken down. The problem is um, actually prosecuting someone and, and getting a, a win. Yeah, That's where exactly. it really, really, really gets hard. Exactly. Well, on that not so positive note, <laughs> so, uh, Danny, we're at the end of our time. Uh, this has been a very fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise and your observations and and uh, ideas about this. I have to mention my wonderful sponsor, PI Magazine. Check it out at pimagazine.com. And we're done for the day. So <laughs> tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories for real, from real investigators like Danny Torson or Danny Thompson, I guess, a.k.a. <laughs> it's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening and thanks, Dan. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 